Welcome to Rounds with Relias, the podcast for healthcare professionals. I'm your host, Jesse Safran. When it comes to healthcare issues, perhaps no issue in the last couple of years has dominated headlines more than the opioid crisis. But a related crisis that has gone back decades is the opioid drug diversion crisis. In May of this year, for example, there was a shocking case out of Washington State in which a nurse tampered with drugs and allegedly infected two patients with hepatitis C. But there have been worse horror stories in recent years. Going back to 2009, for example, there was a case out of Colorado in which a nurse tampered with drugs there and infected 18 patients. To help us understand more about this issue, we are joined today by Kimberly New, a nurse, an attorney, and drug diversion specialist who is the executive director of the International Health Facility Diversion Association. Kimberly, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm curious, how did you get involved in fighting opioid drug diversion? It's an interesting um it's an interesting question because I get asked it a lot and actually um it was kind of by default. I'm a nurse, I'm also an attorney. I've worked for hospitals and health systems as in-house counsel and as external counsel. And in the course of my work, I have um for one reason or another been kind of given a lot of DEA regulatory issues. In addition, I've worked in hospital settings as a compliance officer and have had um, personal experience addressing drug diversion by healthcare personnel, both in long-term care as well as in the um, acute care setting. And it really, I think it just kind of grew out of that. Um, I do. I think most people have had someone affected by by drug diversion um, in one way or another, and um, certainly I have too. And it makes me more more passionate about it, having had um, friends that have gotten involved in this type of activity and kind of seeing what's happened um, to them. Kimberly, one issue with the opioid drug diversion problem is lack of good data. There seem to always be big cases that grab the public's attention but sometimes it is difficult to trace cause and effect, especially when patients may not find out immediately that they have been infected with something. And then there is the problem of underreporting by healthcare facilities. What has your experience been in terms of analyzing the available data and trying to determine the extent of this problem? Yeah, um, so... uh, so in terms of how often does it occur, I mean, one of the reasons we don't have good information on that is um, there, are, unfortunately, still are a number of facilities that don't report drug diversion at all to a professional board, law enforcement, or elsewhere. Um, in addition, there's a lot of drug diversion that goes undetected. Um, and so for a number of reasons, we just simply don't have good data. What I tell facilities is if you aren't detecting diversion on a, uh, on a you know, annual basis, um, then you should go back and look at your processes. Every facility that has controlled substances um, on the premises will have drug diversion. It's a given. We can't prevent it entirely. Um, I oftentimes will say, you know, kind of a conservative estimate um, a 500-bed hospital should expect to have over 20 cases a year. Wow, that is remarkable. I know there was an estimate recently from a former Cincinnati police officer who extrapolated data from that area and determined that across the country there are over 100 diversion-related arrests on a given day. Now, given all of this, it seems like more effort should be directed at preventing the problem from happening in the first place. We know that some hospitals and healthcare facilities, for example, are beginning to hire drug diversion specialists. 
What developments have you seen in this area? Absolutely. Um, that's something that I have advocated for years, is that, is that you really do need to have someone who is responsible for the daily operations of your drug diversion program. Um, historically, facilities have not necessarily had someone like that. They've, they've treated many times, treated um, diversion as a one-off. Um, you know, it happened, but it won't happen again, so we don't have to really have any proactive process in place. The reality is um, it will occur. We know that. Um, and so, you, you know, I think it's essential that you have someone, no matter how small or large you are, that you have at least a, someone who, um, whether it's their full-time job or part-time job, is, is responsible to make sure that the policies are up to date, that the education is ha happening as it should, that, um, that, that areas of risk are identified physical risk as well as, um, you know, ongoing surveillance and auditing. So um, it's something that I think is essential. To answer your question, we have seen a tremendous increase in the number of diversion specialists across the country over the past particularly two years. Um, uh, facility after facility is now, um, you know, hiring a diversion specialist. And in fact, um, one of the facilities that I work with, I was just on the phone with them before we spoke. and. They said actually they've now been approved to have a second one, which is which is really really great. Um, so I do think it's an essential role. I think we're going to see more of them, and I think they will be instrumental in helping to protect patients and staff from the harm that can be associated with this type of activity. Curious, what kind of background would a drug diversion specialist have? Would it be sort of a hybrid between healthcare and law enforcement, or does it depend on the situation? Yeah, and you know, I think it, it's more person dependent. Although I, I would say generally, um, if I were to to give you a um, kind of a profile of someone who does well in that role, it's oftentimes a nurse, um, because oftentimes there is a, a somewhat of a disconnect between the clinical side and pharmacy, not necessarily a rift, but just. Um, many times kind of a disconnect in, in, in workflows and processes. And so I think it really does help to have someone clinical in the role. Um, we also see a number, the, a number of them, though, that are pharmacy techs, um, some that are pharmacists, some that are, um, you know, have a security background or law enforcement background. So we do see quite a, a, a bit of variety. I think more importantly, it's, it, it really is, has to be someone who is, able to think on their feet, who is, you know, good at solving complex problems, that can see the big picture, um, that can get along well with others, speak publicly, um, because they're going to, this is a person that's going to have to, um, first of all, have an unpleasant role in some respects, um, because they will be addressing drug diversion, which nobody wants to hear about, um, but in addition, um, you know, they are going to have to interact with all sorts of different um, individuals within the facility, including physicians, anesthesiologists, um, CRNAs, nursing, pharmacy, and all. So um, I think really it, it requires a certain personality, um, more so than it does necessarily that background. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications, such as Hospital Employee Health, and obtain CE credit. Kimberly, it seems like this issue has a lot of crossover, not just at the individual organizational level, but also at the public policy level. For example, I was shocked to learn while preparing for this podcast 
that if a healthcare worker is accused of tampering with drugs or otherwise diverting drugs at one facility, in some cases he or she can go on and find employment at other healthcare facilities. What have you seen in terms of this problem, and have you heard any feedback from administrators or others who are trying to solve it? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, it is absolutely true that that happens, and it happens a lot. Um, part of it is, again, if there isn't reporting to a professional board, then it obviously um, there really isn't a record of what happened, and so um, another facility may hire someone uh, and be totally oblivious to the fact that this ever occurred. Um, many of the diversion cases that we see occur at at the hands of, un, of, of unlicensed individuals, and so um, that is one of the reasons why public health officials feel strongly, and I do too, that, that cases need to be reported to law enforcement so that there will be a record um, of what has occurred, uh, because if, absent a professional board, there really is no other avenue for subsequent employers to be able to identify that. I have worked with, um, with various federal um, stakeholders, uh, you know, on and off over the years, trying to come up with some way um, to be able to reduce the likelihood that this occurs and provide some kind of notification to, um, you know, to subsequent employers. The problem, of course, is is that people are obviously um, innocent until proven otherwise, um, right. and so it does become somewhat of a sticky issue. Uh, I think that New Hampshire, following their large outbreak, really did a great job in terms of their um, legislative um, developments and um, came up with a way, for instance, to um, require unlicensed professionals or healthcare personnel to be um, to be registered with the state, which does provide some some degree of, of I guess, accountability. Kimberly, I mentioned at the top of the podcast two major cases, the one out of Washington recently and then the one out of Colorado going back almost a decade now. Are there other stories involving opioid drug diversion that you've been involved with that can shed more light on this crisis for some of our listeners and sort of paint a picture of what the real costs of this problem are? Well, certainly um, it would be difficult for me to talk about specific cases just because I obviously am oftentimes involved. There have been a number of cases in the news, however, in addition to the ones that you're referring to in which, um, you know, uh, patients have been infected with hep C. The big one that comes to mind, of course, is the case that was discovered in New Hampshire but actually impacted many states, and that was um, a case of a radiology technician who worked as a traveler who infected 46 patients across the country with hep C. I can tell you that I have seen cases in which, um, in which a nurse uh, had become so advanced in his or her diversion scheme that patients were actually denied appropriate pain relief uh, in the operative environment. And that's, of course, a, a, something that is very, very egregious and, and um, obviously can cause a lot of fear um, by patients if they are aware that this type of thing can happen. Um, we do unfortunately see a lot of cases in long-term care um, because they are vulnerable patients and oftentimes unable to speak up for themselves. That's why we see, I think, a lot of cases in the operative environment as well. Um, I have seen cases involving children, um, children who have 
um, you know, been neonates who have been denied appropriate pain relief um, because they were being cared for by someone who was um, diverting. And so I think, you know, there there are a number of cases out there that that really should be um, taken into consideration when people are thinking about drug diversion um, in terms of really what the risk is. A, a number of people can be impacted by one single diverter, including people who actually aren't even patients in the healthcare facility. I will say one other one other case that, that comes to mind is um, there have been cases in which healthcare personnel have diverted opioids and other medications and then gotten behind the wheel of the car um, to go home from work and have caused accidents that have caused serious injury, in some cases death, um, to the the individuals that, that they impacted, um, literally. So really, it, the, this is the, the, the extent to which people can be harmed, is, uh, harmed by this type of activity is extremely far-reaching. So the human costs are high, and then of course you have high costs related to the negative public relations that comes after many of these cases. Hospitals and other facilities often have to test thousands of other patients to determine whether they were infected with hep C or anything else, um, and that garners headlines, of course. So it's a tragic situation, but maybe from an incentive standpoint, maybe because of that negative PR, these institutions will have to change their ways, which could perhaps involve hiring more drug diversion specialists or having more feet on the ground dedicated to this issue. Certainly it does help, it does, if there's a silver lining that comes out of these very unfortunate cases, it is that I think other facilities pay attention and realize, oh my gosh, that could be us. Um, the reality is this could happen to any facility. It doesn't matter how prestigious you are, um, you know, what your status is. Um, it is it is something that does not discriminate. And so, um, you're right, absolutely, these cases do at least prompt some some action on the part of, of many other facilities to, to improve processes. I will say, too, that, um, that as a patient, I would much rather go to a facility that has, is discovering drug diversion. So to me, if a facility is in the news, um, it's unfortunate for the facility, but to me, that is not a reflection of necessarily something bad. It means that this facility is, is, has at least caught somebody, that they're looking at it. I would much rather be there than at a facility that tells me, well, we've never had drug diversion, so you don't, don't need to worry. You can come to our facility and you won't be harmed. Um, right. That's not a realistic, review. That's not a real, realistic um, perspective. Yeah, it's, it's counterintuitive, but it, it makes a lot of sense when you put it that way because if they're finding out about it, that means they're at least aware of the problem and are trying to correct it in some way. Absolutely. So can you tell our audience a little bit about the work that you do with the International Health Facility Diversion Association? Sure. We're a nonprofit um, organization that was founded by um, myself as well as John Berkey, who is the um, law enforcement individual you were talking about from Cincinnati. John and I have worked together for many years and um, we we saw that there was a gap in really having a centralized location for education and resources associated with diversion by healthcare personnel. And so we founded the organization and um, and now it's, it's growing quite a bit. We've had, um, we're getting ready to have our um, 
third annual conference in Texas in October. Um, but our membership is made up of law enforcement, regulatory folks, um, state investigators, pharmacists, nurses, uh, pharmacy techs, um, you name it. We have a very um, diverse membership and um, the membership by, by, um, by most um, standards is quite active actually in the listserv and so we get a lot of good information sharing, idea sharing um, and um, and really collaboration to improve processes. Um, one of the things that, that the, the IHFDA is working on is we've developed a work group at the request of our members so that they can develop a, some kind of a tracer tool to um, use within the healthcare facilities. So um, it's, a great, it's a great resource, um, a great opportunity for people to network and, um, and we continue to provide education and try to get the word out about um, diversion and how it can impact really everyone including, we can't forget the diverters themselves who obviously um, suffer greatly uh, when they go down this path. Kimberly, if there was one reform that hospital administrators, healthcare facilities could make or maybe even at the policy level, um, what would you like to see happen in the coming years? Um, so I may tell you a couple of things. One, you know, in terms of a facility, there's one thing. It would be, in order to protect the facilities, it would be to develop a proactive formal program. That's really something that every facility has to have. We need to look at it, assess your risk, um, get the stakeholders together, develop a plan for how you can respond and really get a feeling for what, what your level of risk is. Don't make assumptions about what's going on in your facility because um, inevitably, I can tell you just from my own experience spending pretty much every day on site at a hospital, things are never as you expect. So I think a formal program for the facilities. In terms of um, policy, if I had one wish, it would most definitely be that um, a drug diversion would be a mandatory reportable to the Board of Health. Um, to have that be reported to a central location, um, you know, I think, I think would be immensely helpful. And I know it is, it is actually mandated to be reported in New Hampshire, um, but that's not the case in many, in many um, states. So I think that would be really a, a, a best situation. That's interesting. It also seems like the organization um, that you work with, um, the International Health Facility Diversion Association, it's almost like you're this sort of decentralized, you know, we want to have as many solutions as possible and some of that is, you know, from, from the people on the ground who are right there experiencing those problems and having some sort of framework with which you can, you know, discuss these issues, talk about reforms that are happening on the ground, um, I think that's a, an invaluable service. Um, so that's, that's exciting work that you're doing. So thank you for joining us today. We've been joined by Kimberly New, nurse and attorney, drug diversion specialist, executive director of the International Health Facility Diversion Association. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and hopefully we can talk again in the future about some of the reforms that you're advocating for. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Relias Media, where we empower healthcare providers to improve patient care and outcomes. 
To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications such as Healthcare Risk Management and obtain CME or CE credit.